we're constantly optimizing the algorithm and working on new ways to manage the data. So it could be through CRM that you have a compatibility rate with someone who's at 95%. And not only do you answer questions on OKCube, but you also get to weight your questions. Hello and welcome to Good Data, Better Marketing, the ultimate guide to driving customer engagement. Today's episode features an interview with Sonia Oblite, Senior Director of Global Marketing at OKCupid. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. Looking for clean, reliable data you can trust? Segment collects, cleans, and allows you to activate your data in real time across hundreds of applications and channels. Learn about how Segment can help you personalize customer experiences by visiting segment.com. In today's world, dating happens nearly entirely online. Most of us know the struggles of setting up a dating profile, selecting your best photos and prompt responses, only to be lost in a sea of other singles looking for love. OkCupid is changing the game completely. The app has thousands of sign-on questions, 15 of which must be answered by each user. OkCupid is able to use this data to help you find your perfect match while ensuring the questions are culturally adaptable. To get a better understanding of OkCupid's strategies, I invited Sonia Oblite, Senior Director of Global Marketing, on the podcast. In this episode, Sonia and I discuss personalization tactics, reaching people globally, and being an advocate-focused brand. Sonia, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to chat with you. I want to learn a little bit more about you and your career. So how did you get to where you are today? Well, thank you for having me. I listened to the podcast and I'm just super humbled to be interviewed amongst some really great marketers as well. So thank you. My career path was interesting. Basically growing up wanting to be an investigative journalist. Like that was my thing. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to get like down to the hardcore facts. And I wanted to be the voice for people and uncover and discover things. Like even in high school, I was writing controversial topics about uniforms in school and condoms in school. So that was my thing. I, I went, love it. Yeah, I was kind of a rebel. I mean, we actually got some hate mail. This was back when those newspapers, I was featured published in a newspaper and yeah. my parents were like, this girl. So <laughs> when I went to college, my major was English because I was going to be a journalist. And then within my first semester, my parents were like, oh, no, you're not going to major in English, major in business, you know, I have an immigrant background. And they're like, we're, you're not going to explore, <laughs> you're going to work. So I said to myself, like, okay, if I can major in business, what will still allow me to tell stories and still connect with people? And I'm like marketing and I'm creative. So I majored in marketing. And after college, I was working in the buying office buying cosmetics. And I was like, "Ah, I don't know about this. But luckily for me, I was able to gain exposure into marketing because we worked a lot of different cosmetic brands. The brands would come in and they would pitch their campaigns and their new products. And I fell in love with that. So I made the transition into brand marketing and I was a cosmetic marketer for about a long time. You know, the years. <laughs> we don't have to go into that. We don't have to go into that. Know, let's fast forward. Let's fast 
short jumps a day. <laughs> but I was granted a really unique opportunity about three years ago. I'm Melissa Hobley, who was the former CMO of OKCupid. She just recently joined as CMO of Tinder. But she calls me and said, you know what? We want to take OKCupid international. We're killing it here in the U.S. Why don't you join the team? And I was like, wow, this would be a great way to get a little bit out of beauty marketing, being in beauty marketing for so long, but also to just tackle a whole new challenge on like building the story of OkCupid and dating internationally in different cultures that I don't speak the language and I don't know the culture, but it's been a great ride. It's been a great ride. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now. That's awesome. You must see so many different nuances as it relates to dating in different cultures in your role. And I'm so excited to dive into those. <laughs> I have so many questions. As an avid fan of shows like Love Island and Terrace House, I have plenty of questions to be able to ask you today. Oh, there's lots. I mean, I feel my first brainstorm working for a dating app was quite interesting. I'm like, can we talk about this at work? You're like, this is work. <laughs> What's like the line? I would blush. I'm like, oh my gosh, no. But yeah. <laughs> and OkCupid is not a brand that shies away from bold statements. Not sure if you saw some of our scenes some of our campaigns. For instance, DTF was a campaign. I that, saw that one all over the subways. All yes. over the subway. And it's down to find. And that came from insight too, because it's down to find what you're looking for. So, I mean, in DTF launched before I joined the company, but it was really Melissa as our CMO at the time using insight to see what our users really cared about. And you're down to find whatever it is you're down to find. And our users just happen to be really progressive because we are a very progressive dating app. Matter of fact, we were the first dating app to really focus on LGBTQ rights. We have 22 gender options, 20 sexual orientations, and we've had this for years. So that's the core of the brand. It's always been inclusive. So DTF was just a natural progression. Take an acronym and kind of have fun with it. Well, I appreciate that. As a queer person, seeing that representation in all of these apps is super, super important to me. And so really appreciate the fact that, you know, brands, maybe five, 10 years ago, it might have been like going out on a limb. Now it mm -hmm. seems like everybody's catching up with the times, but awesome to hear that OkCupid's okay, kind of always been ahead of that. And speaking of, one of the things that I really want to learn from you is about those trends. I am sure that you have your hands on the pulse of a lot of the things that are going on as it relates to online dating in the industry. So can you talk to me about some of those? What are the some of the biggest trends that you're looking at as it relates to the customer engagement in online dating? Yeah, I mean, trends for us come from all over the place, which is what's fascinating because trends can come from pop culture. Trends can come from the questions that we ask within our app because we have over, geez, thousands of questions. We've had since we launched 9.5 billion questions answered. I mean, this year alone, people have answered 400 million questions. So we have wow. data from our app. But as far as culturally, think of a trend like quiet quitting. That's all in the news right now. And we think, oh, yeah. how does that apply to dating? How does that apply to Gen Z? How does that apply to millennials? What is it that are deal breakers for people? What are kind of the signs of the times in the sense, because dating changes with COVID, for instance, you went from meeting in real life to now just meeting, you know, literally having to just date online. So for those who weren't comfortable, how do we make them comfortable? What is it that we can tap into? So I think as far as the trends are, like we look at seasonality as well. Like when will be the time that you know you're going to be out meeting people? Summer, New Year's Eve. Always feel like summer. You might <laughs> 
<laughs> and know? then it's like, is now cuffing season? Have we officially entered cuffing season? It's almost there, cuffing. Yeah. Is, and, you know, and every dating app does cuffing season. So what's our spin on cuffing season? You know, we use data for that. We use data to even coin terms that we know matter to our customers. So for instance, for climate change, we will have climate change as a focus. And then we work with teams to come up with a really interesting name for it. And that way we're able to then own that conversation. And then it becomes a data-driven insight, but now it's also an OkCupid dating trend. That's so interesting. So, So what I'm hearing is, well, first of all, the number of questions that folks in your app are answering is astounding, unbelievable volume that you're achieving. So so kudos to you. But I guess what I'm understanding is you're looking at a lot of those insights, kind of seeing some of those top ones that are answered, perhaps, or the ways that people are answering them, and then identifying some of those trends from there and building campaigns off the back of that. Is that right? Exactly. And just to add a little bit more to that, I love working at OKCupid because not only are we data-driven, we're also very conscious of being advocates. We're very value-focused. So with the Black Lives Matter movement, we saw, you know, an uprising and the resurgence of people who really wanted to be allies. So we were the first to launch a Black Lives Matter badge so people can match on that. So trends don't just come from data. They also come, like I said, from the discourse of the country. We launched a pro-rights badge so people can filter out those who were against pro-rights. That alone, I think, as far as dating today, people are really looking for people who share those core values. You know, you don't want to waste your time on date five dating somebody who has offensive values, values that you would never even try to look past. We do that work for you, the heavy lifting. That's so interesting. And because you focus on international marketing, I'm sure you're seeing a lot of the nuances in kind of different countries and, and how different users are actually interacting with the OkCupid app. Do you have any insights that you're, you know, can share with us about some of the nuances that you might be seeing um, per country in terms of what folks are looking for? So we're very popular in Israel. And in Israel, we're popular because they see us as a serious dating app. Because of that culture from the research and from also the data we have from our users there is they're very influenced by family and they're very much about serious relationships, marrying and then having your family. So they use OkCupid as more of a tool to date seriously and find somebody for a lifetime. Where in Germany, it's a little different, especially in Berlin. (laughs) Berlin's a unique place. Yes, having been to Berlin, I can tell you that what you're saying probably makes sense to me, but keep going. (laughs) It's funny, if you see our ad campaign in Israel and if you see our ad campaign in Berlin and in the US, you're like, wow. But, you know, we cater more to that diversity, you know, it's for looking for a relationship that allows you to be you. You know, we want to highlight that whatever you're looking for, you can find it on OkCupid. And that's what's interesting about international marketing and dating app, because the core values of OkCupid doesn't change. We're still about matching about what matters, asking you questions, allowing you to match with someone who really wants what you want. But if you want to do that seriously, go for it. If you want to have someone for a night, for the weekend, or just a date for Sunday or for a lifetime, you can find that as well. But we have to ensure that we're sticking within the cultural norms of the society. So even in a Tel Aviv, we have to make sure that our messaging resonates the way they date in that market. And totally. then we, pro- we progress with them as they progress. 
That's so interesting. Yeah, it's probably one of the most interesting experiences I've had as a marketer. I'm customizing the messages, but I'm also customizing for the culture. So it's not like I am selling a lipstick that's red wherever I sell it, you know, and I might be changing the model here and there. But no, we're actually tapping into how you date. And what's more intimate than dating? Truly nothing. It's been quite a ride. It's interesting. Like just the psychology of it all. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You are blending, I'm sure, tons of insights that are coming in, both quantitative, qualitative, all across the board in terms of social media listening, how folks are interacting with your app, the questions that are coming in. And I'm assuming that that's, you know, it's it's hard to know which ones to kind of move on and which ones to not in terms of the trends because there's so much information coming to you all the time. I guess I'm, I'm really interested in also learning about some of those challenges is you're marketing to folks in how many different countries do you market to folks in? What are you, we, what's your purview? We actively market right now to four, but we have our, our questions are available all over the world. So like 30 wow. different countries. Um and we do have interactions with all the users throughout the world who have availability to app. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And so I'm imagining that there's probably different challenges in different markets as it relates to engaging your customers. Do you have any stories or, or you know things you want to share in terms of some of those things that are hard to hard to do and hard to engage your customers, especially as it relates to kind of the nuances in culture? Yeah, I mean, where do I start? I think. So, okay, I'll take a step back. We are now translated in a few of our local languages, but before we were only in English, right? And you ask somebody if they want to be in an open relationship, like in Turkey, they interpreted that as, are you open to a relationship? Ah, okay. So that changes your response, which then will change who you're going to see in the algorithm. Yeah, and even when we did translate into Turkish, because, it t- you know, you translate, you go through all the work, you have the, you know, everything's reviewed a thousand times, but there's still times when you're like, oh, well, missed that one. One, question, yeah. one question was, do you clap when your plane lands? And that's oh, a big- <laughs> I love that question. That <laughs> makes me so happy. <laughs> that's a big question in Israel. You is know? that cultural? It is. Wait, uh, can you enlighten me? What cultures clap when the plane lands? This is a well, question that I need to answer in my life. So that's the thing. For Israel, they clap. But then there are people who are a little bit more, I don't know, annoyed with it. So it's funny. We actually, I think it's very funny. I'm we, like, we, clap all the way. Let's go. And based on that insight, for Israel specifically, we did a digital cartoon almost illustration showing a plane landing, everyone clapping, and then a couple looking at each other, not clapping and rolling their eyes. And then they matched, <laughs> you know, because they don't clap when the plane lands. That's perfect. But in Turkey, the way we translate it was, do you clap when the plane crashes? Huh. Okay. That's not a good question. Yeah, for me, <laughs> I'm not stoked about that. <laughs> so we immediately find this. Oh, obviously, we can change them instantly. We can go into the product and change the questions. But it just shows how even when you have the right translation, you don't. You yeah. still have work to do. We're not local in market. But we do have great teams around the world who are soldiers on the ground, as I like to say. And they keep us tapped into the culture. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's maybe one of the ways that you're solving some of these these perhaps kind of cultural nuance challenges that might arise is you have localized teams. Is that right? Mm-hmm. 
We Very do. Cool. We have localized teams. And we do work with dating experts in the culture and in the regions that we tap into as well for the psychology of it all to make sure that we are not only adding credibility to the brand, but also making sure that we know a little bit more about the dating habits and patterns of the different target groups that we focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I'm sure that there are different patterns of of the way that people date and interact. You're saying that in some cultures, it's a little more fluid in terms of the way that you market and in others, it's a little bit more like meant for serious kind of partnerships and couples coming out. So want to learn a little bit more about the way that data is influencing uh, all of your marketing campaigns in OkCupid. And starting with that, do you have a definition for what good data looks like? My definition for good data is what question does it answer for me? That's how I look at data, you know, because it's like, if I, as a marketer, I want to build a plan, but I really need to tap into my consumer and I need the data, but I need my data to answer questions. So I typically start with a bunch of questions and then I have my, I work with my data science team to help me with that. And help me identify like a trend through that data and see the questions can lead to so many more questions and so many more answers. So yeah. I think for me, that's really what good data is, is anything that helps me to find an opportunity. You know, we do a lot of brand studies. We could say our campaign was a success. It had a 99% awareness. And I'm like, well, what was that 1%? You know, what happened there? Never good enough. You know, it, it, it allows me to just continue to optimize, you know, and then sometimes the answer is that 1% just isn't your target. You will never get that 1%. It's just not for you. But that's still the answer to that data. So that's what I think of when I think of good data. But I'm not somebody who is like, because the data says you have to do that. It's not the way I was brought up in my, my career. Funny enough, as a brand builder, we did focus groups and everything, but a lot of it was, was gut too. It's almost like a dance of my gut and the data. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. And there's there's something about this where I've worked in B2B businesses most of my life. I think that B2B businesses forget a lot of the time that you're also still talking to human beings. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are purchasing things. And so anchoring every single decision that you're making fully on a half a percentage point instead of human intuition. I don't know. There's definitely got to be a balance there for sure. So I appreciate the fact that especially in consumer brands, like you are probably looking at things in a six, 12 month in the future lens more than a lot of folks. And you don't even know what the data is going to say because it's going to change before you know it. Exactly. Exactly. one of the things that you know I want to learn about too is how does your team leverage that data? So they're answering questions. Billions of questions are being answered on your platform. How are you using that data in your signup process to predict that compatibility among the users? Where is that going? What is that feeding? What are the campaigns that you're running off the back of that? Interesting question because a lot of your question is based off of the algorithm, right? So we have our 15 onboarding questions that we know, are designed to be the questions you can't skip. And that's going to give you like your initial matches along with the preferences that you set, right? And then throughout the app, you're going to continue to get questions. And the more questions you answer, the better match you're going to find. We're constantly optimizing 
the algorithm and working on new ways to manage the data. So it could be through CRM that you have a compatibility rate with someone who's at 95%. You probably want to get to meet them or you guys both answer some of the same questions the same way. And not only do you answer questions on OkCupid, but also, you also get to weight your questions. Whoa, um, no yeah, way. Yeah. That's so very cool. That like you do care about, you kind of care about, or you don't care about, but that's like you only accept a yes for this answer, only accept a, maybe some questions that you have a little bit more flexibility. So that also feeds into the data. And I think as far as the campaigns that we've done off of the data, about two years ago, right, right around the time when COVID hit, we had a campaign called Ask Yourself, which was completely driven off of our questions. So DTF was the campaign that's going to shock you. It's going to remind you that OkCupid is here. It's going to tell you that we are the app for you if you're down to find this. Ask Yourself campaigns about, well, how are we going to do that for you? And that's through these questions. So the team spent a lot of time going through all the question data and seeing what was important to our users. And then through that is what they developed this campaign, Ask Yourself. So, okay, keep it question number 56. Is a soulmate worth waiting for? Because we saw that's a big question for us, you know, and then we took these questions and add some really dynamic illustrations, very whimsical, if you want to say abstract, you know, and like two people intertwining into one on a repeat, asking that soulmate question. But it was all driven from the data. That's really yeah. cool. I love that. Ask yourself. So you're taking those biggest questions that folks are answering the most and then transforming them into creative. I love those types of campaigns. One of my favorite campaigns when we did that was I used to work at a company that had a lot of salary data and we had all of the differentiations between if somebody was giving us their gender, their race, their age, all of that stuff. So we could break it down in really interesting ways and we sent that data over to a physical artist and she created a visual representation of the wage gap. And it was this big sweeping installation in this big warehouse in San Francisco, so moving. And then, you know, having conversations and panels about that with, with a lot of that. leaders. And you so know what? Cool. It's authentic. It's authentic. It's what we know to be true. It's I love that. Yeah. And it like, it's something that's important, you know, it's something that everybody feels and it's something that is, um, it's so human, you know, but like it's, it's anchored on all of these insights that are coming through Mm -hmm. the platform, which is really cool. Do you have any examples of maybe what some personalization might look like? I know that you just said like weighting of different preferences in the apps, any other ways that y'all are driving personalization within your customer engagement strategies or, or brand tactics? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about dating apps. If you're doing it right, we're showing you who you want to meet. Um, So that's personalization in itself. It's just giving you the tools to select the preferences that you're looking for. But I think for me and for OkCupid, what I like about what we're able to do is we are able to literally show you your person based on a percent score. So it's almost like, dare I say, the Netflix of online dating. Yeah, because Netflix is able to show me what I want to see for the most part. Amazon, how they know my favorite color is pink. I have no idea. I have a pink air fryer, pink dishes, all because Amazon knows that's my favorite color. So with OkCupid, we're able to show you who we think you should see 
but it's based off the questions that you answered. And that's very personal. Very personal. I love that. Yeah. And what I really think is so cool about this is we talk a lot on the show about third-party data kind of going away in the future, first-party data being a really rich source of information because it's consented, it's coming directly from the user. But really what you're talking about right now is kind of a layer even deeper than that that we're hearing a lot of trends about, which is called zero-party data, which is a form fill. It's a survey, somebody's answering it, and you're tailoring the entire experience based off of what a human being is telling you. And I think that that's certainly the most powerful form of data. If you can get people to interact with your app and actually give you something instead of just looking at all the ways that they click, I think that that is the most important thing that you can do. I love that. So I want to transition a little bit into kind of some of the the future-looking things and and some of the people that you might look to for inspiration. Do you have anybody that you look to that you think is doing it right as it relates to customer engagement and kind of brand tactics? There's so many. I think that I just personally look at those brands who are answering my personal need and meeting my expectations, but I love Uber. I think that they are definitely the leaders when it comes to customer expectations and they've set these expectations. I think DoorDash is doing a really great job at it as well for me, because I think I might be their biggest customer in the DMV with DoorDash because (laughs) they have this way of letting me know when it's time to order. And they always have a way of telling me what I should order and then making it really easy for me to follow my driver easy for me to contact my driver and easy for me to message with them. And I'm okay without talking to a person. I'm okay with messaging customer service because I have confidence that they're going to get back to me. And to me, I think that's what customers are expecting now is we might not always talk to somebody with this new day and age and technology, but we need to know that there's somebody there. I think besides those two... I do go back to my traditional storytelling brands that I love, you know, and I love Dove. But for me, it's just like, as a woman of color, and I look at Dove, I think they're genuine. I don't think they're pandering to me. I, you know, and I can think of the commercial with the, I forgot the name of the campaign, but it was about hair and texture. And the little girl was getting her hair done by her mom. And it gives me goosebumps till this day because I can see myself. And it's Dove and I'm loyal to Dove. And a lot of my girlfriends are loyal to Dove because we believe them. Same thing with Nike over the years. And I think recently I was really impressed by the Serena Williams Gatorade commercial with Beyonce. Because it's just anything that I stop and I'm like, whew, if it gives me that chill, I'm like, yeah, they took the time to tell that story. And I believe them. That's huge. I love that that's the phrase that you're using is I believe them. It means that they've done such good research and understand who their consumers are so well that they're creating campaigns that truly speak to you. If a brand can give you the goosebumps, that's mm-hmm. like the ultimate sign of praise. It really is. It really, really is. You know, And what's wonderful about today is we don't have to have multi-million, billion dollar uh, brand budgets to tell stories anymore. You know, We can tell stories in other, other ways, other channels, even through TikTok. Are you uh, using TikTok for? We are. 
Tell me about it. I think for TikTok, we're still optimizing and learning, but the content, it's not about like, okay. And I'm not trying to offend anybody, but like with Instagram, I feel like I'm following these celebrities and these big influencers where TikTok, I'm just following really funny content or really yeah. great content or content that means something to me. So for the dating app, it's like people know dating can be hard. You could have a content creator with two followers who's just really funny and just makes you like laugh and can express the frustrations of dating in a really funny way. That to me is TikTok. A hundred percent. People are giving you just a little bit of their time. Yeah. Boom, boom. Be funny with it. Be quick with it. If that's where you're trying to go with it. But that's I, that's why I like TikTok because it's, A, allows a lot of people to be content creators. I think it just builds opportunities for more people. And because of that, it feels more authentic. <laughs> you're so right. But like, I'm not do you think that- $50,000 like, hi, I use okay, keep it. No, it's like somebody who not getting paid, but they just love the, pro- the, they love the brand. They love the idea and they love to make videos. Customer advocacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the way in because at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm fearing the future of TikTok for exactly this reason is like brands got on Instagram and they were like, I understand what we're doing here. And then it was like, okay, the sponsored post pushback and all that kind of stuff. But I agree with you right now. It still feels like this place where you can discover in a really genuine way. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it knows you too well. You're like, wait. How did I get on this? But it's kind of perfect. Like, I did want that recipe. Thank you. Too well. Too well. well. I I, I can be on TikTok for like three hours. I'm like, what have I done with my... You got to set a timer. You got to set a timer. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I should try that. (laughs) Annoying me, I'll just keep pushing. Ignore, ignore. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) snooze, snooze. Snooze, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Tell me about maybe your favorite database marketing campaign that you've ever run? I would say the Ask Yourself campaign. I think that was really the one I mentioned before that was really database. But I will tell you about my favorite, more like a brand, like emotional storytelling campaign is my beauty marketing days. I used to do marketing for Tommy Hilfiger Fragrances and we were designing a new fragrance and we really wanted to tap into men's passion for their cars, for their classic cars. And when we were designing the bottle, when you closed your fragrance, we wanted it to sound like you were closing your car door. Wow. That's so cool. Like that's how much we wanted to connect with this consumer. We wanted for the leather of the bottle to feel like leather on your car. We wanted to give you that experience of this is like a car, a luxury car, very aspirational, you know, that you're heading into when you buy this fragrance. And I thought, and that was based off of insight too, a lot of insight work on who that target would be. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I would have never, down to the nuance of the way that the cap actually goes back on and the sound that that produces, that is so well thought out in terms of customer experience. It's I'll unbelievable. You, fragrance marketing is the most romantic marketing I've ever done. Because it's all storytelling. You can't smell the fragrance through your TV. I mean, you might, back in the day with magazines, you could, Soon. or if you're in the <laughs> store. Soon, probably through TikTok. So it's very romantic. You want to feel the wave of the Calvin Klein ocean. Like, you know? <laughs> it's all of these Italian models. That's like what I always think about when I think about fragrances. Like all these guys on cliffs and the Amalfi Coast. <laughs> exactly. 
You right. know, it's it's true, but it's very romantic. And we have a customer that's so focused, maybe a little too focused, and we like design the fragrance for them to have that experience from every design, every detail of the package. So cool. Mm-hmm. I, and that's such an, an interesting example and so kind of detailed and something that I have never thought about. And just it impacts the way that people think about, care about, and feel about your brand. And it yeah. has that genuine, you know, back to the kind of one of the words that we've been using today and authentic, mm-hmm. it builds that trust, you know, like they get me. Very cool. That's, that's the plan. That's the hope. Yeah, absolutely. What do you see changing? And what do you see on the horizon in terms of some of the ways that you're engaging with customers in the next six to 12 months? What are, what are your eyes on right now? What I see changing is really, I feel that our customers need a little bit more incentive to stick around. So whether it's gamification within your product, rewarding them some way in the product, I feel like people are expecting that now, sort of in a way, like, let me build some points or let me have this community that I can talk to, you know, even and then starting to make its way into, into dating, you know? So I that's think that's something I see is happening is building retention through gamification and through other social networking tools. That's so you interesting. Know? This has come up a couple of times and I think that's exactly right is every brand, whether you're B2B or B2C is thinking up ways to, build these ways for you to never stop interacting with your brand. And that's exactly gamification. Do you have any experiments that you're running right now as it relates to gamification? We don't. We don't have any. But, you know, I know that it's something that we're definitely considering, but we haven't allocated any resource to that. It's really something that we want to take our time with and make sure that we test it right, because we don't want people to lose focus on you really are here still, too. To meet find somebody someone. and connect. So no, not yet. But I have been really interested in how other brands have been doing it within the whole gaming world, whether it's building a product within the game, you know, or even in meta and seeing what's going on in the whole metaverse thing. And I'm still trying to understand that myself, but it's definitely where we're headed. It's definitely where we're headed. Dating in the metaverse? Who knows? Why not? not? 2023? Here we come. Nobody thought we would ever date through a computer. So. (laughs) I mean, yeah. My mother still doesn't understand it. I'm like, no, mom, you can meet somebody through your computer. She's like, what? Computer. And it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. I met my partner on an app. So, and my brother met his wife and, you know, like, so everybody that I know, a wedding that I'm going to this weekend, like it's, it's so pervasive. One of the producers of the show met her husband on OkCupid and she was like, it's the questions. I did like a thousand questions and he found the one that was so important to me. So I love to hear that. You hear that everybody? Shout out. (laughs) <laughs> it works. It, it can work if you work it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So great. My last question for you. Any steps or recommendations that you have for folks that are looking to up-level some of their marketing tactics and brand strategies? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about building the perfect dating app profile. Oh, well, we can go into that too. Some personal but- advice. <laughs> I think to up your strategy, I'm an old school marketer is kind of like, I always ask myself, so what? 
I just always ask myself, like, so what? Who cares? And keeping my customer literally right in front of me, giving the customer a name, because I have to stay customer oriented. And I, I always ask my team, are we talking to ourselves? Because I've done that before in my career. I've built huge campaigns that didn't really succeed because I'm like, oh, wow, we spend a whole time in the room, in this conference room, talking to ourselves. And I think for me, that's something I've learned. I've also learned to never stop learning. But for me, it's not even about just reading various trade publications, but it's like talking to people, really talking to people, especially my my Gen Z cousins and families. Like, I really like to understand like where their minds are going, you know? Where's um, Gen Z going? I'm, I don't know. I think they ask where I'm going. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? Over there? Like, what did, <laughs> yeah. this, what did you just try to do? But the thing is, like, I'm, I'm kind of far removed from that. And I never want to sit in like an Eiffel Tower. Like, I, I never want to be that senior executive that doesn't get it. I don't personally want to be there. You can fall into that trap. We're all here. We're all together. And, you know, it's good to learn. It's good to try to take risks. One thing I learned about being at OKCupid is we think bold. I mean, when I tell you we think bold, we think things that someone should never really think. Then we bring it down, you know? And I I want to sit in that marketing room. I want to sit in that. Yeah. You you should. It's it's quite the experience. Invite me to your next one. I'm I'm in. Let's go. (laughs) I'm having the time of my life just being able to think this way and having a team that supports it you know, a senior team that brings themselves down to earth. And we're all in the trenches together trying to spread this love around the world. That's so great. Well, Sonia, thank you so much. This has been so great. And I had a blast. Yeah, absolutely. Anchoring on, you know, genuine, authentic relationships, reaching out to the customer and making sure you're leveling the playing field. Awesome words to live by. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. In today's digital-first economy, being data-driven is no longer aspirational. It's necessary. Segment's leading customer data platform empowers every team with good data. From marketing and product to engineering and analytics, Segment unifies data silos into a single view of the customer. It allows teams to make data-driven decisions and personalize customer engagement in real time, all with one single platform to collect and manage your data. Curious to find out why over 20,000 businesses trust Segment to be their data foundation? You can learn more by visiting segment.com.